0: Hello and welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal, but we take part ourselves. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher, and oh crap, where's Carrie? What'd you guys do with her? hitter, yes. Unfortunately, Carrie is sick And so she's not able to record with us today But I'm not alone I am joined by Dr. Donald Prothero Renowned author and paleontologist And Emery Emery A co-host of the Ardent Atheist podcast Who has kindly let us show up at his house to interview Hello, Don Hello, Emory. Hello Hey, thanks for having me Welcome, guys Oh, you are absolutely welcome Thank you for having me I'm at your house No worries We went to a creation museum Yes, we did. And we should say uh, Heather Henderson. She also went with us. She was there. The museum, that's right. She was there. Unfortunately, we just don't have any ladies tonight. So it's boys' night out. I don't know why I'm getting rid of this piece of paper. It has questions that Carrie has asked me (laughs) to ask you. Uh, So is this something you recommend
1: to people? Um, Don? Well, it depends on how good of a masochist you are. Okay. (laughs) I mean, uh, to me, it was almost agonizing, and I was very frustrated and angry at the end. But on the other hand, I come up with a different background than most people do.
0: Sure. You've been spending your life studying paleontology, geology, all the sciences that they completely pass over there. Butcher. Butcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't pass over anything. (laughs) They only pass over Passover. What they're doing
2: to logic, intelligence, and knowledge, and facts is butchering it. That's what they're
0: doing. Okay. You said that you were a former creationist. I was. So if you had to say something was evidence against evolution, what would you say the strongest is? Is there anything?
2: Yes. Okay. Ignorance.
0: (laughs) Honestly, that's the reason. The the reason reason. that people
2: are able to dismiss evolution is because they don't understand it. That's it. That's the only reason. As a creationist, I used to say, science doesn't have it all figured out.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, I'll give Which you my whole... true. That's, th- that's true. exactly true, right? Science doesn't have it all figured out. In fact, and this is where I left the rails, mm. when I was a kid, I was told that dinosaurs were green. Well, I wasn't told that dinosaurs were green. I saw pictures of dinosaurs that were green. Right. And then, as I became a young adult, I started seeing shows on television, and I started reading stories where they had some idea that there were spots or there were different kinds of colors, possibly. Now they pigness. got feathers. There were all kinds of things. And this information may well, in 1970s, when I was young and in school, may have been available but it wasn't taught to me mostly because i was on top of the school being pulled down by the principal and sent home so <laughs> as a young kid i was ignorant yeah i also said that if i evolved from apes then why are there still apes? <laughs> yeah, that was one of my yeah. embarrassingly ignorant creationist arguments. But I said these things, and I thought them, I believed them, and that they were they were simply because I was ignorant. I didn't know, and there's a difference between stupidity and ignorance. I wasn't stupid in that I was capable of understanding these things. I was just ignorant of the facts. Right, exposed
0: to them. That's right. Well, that's a good point because I'm the other former creationist here, and we've already looked through my earth science textbook from my Christian high school. It was school.
2: a joy to read during. <laughs> the ride <laughs> yeah, yeah it was good, very amusing yes. good
0: amusing reading material I'll scan some of it in for the listeners but it brings up a good point because I also believe that stuff I made those arguments but the only way I came out of it was by learning the actual science by you know reading actual science books I just came out of it by
2: putting all my faith in what I've been told by scientists
0: <laughs> well, scientists might say you don't know, do too much of that. <laughs> would you then and say I've
2: been so accused of that? And Kennedy, <laughs> would you say then you have,
0: you have faith in science? Is I that have, it? Uh, no,
2: I have uh, I have trust in the scientific process. That's right. I do That's not have faith in it.
0: science at all. There we go.
2: In right. fact, uh, there is a lot of crap science out there. Yeah, right. dare I say shit science. It occurs. Um, That's a
1: great idea. There's a lot
2: out there. Sure. Uh, Wakefield, for example, completely just destroyed our vaccine system for, mm. for at least 20 or 30 years. This is
0: Andrew Wakefield, for those of you fortunate enough all to have not heard of him. All of listeners know who he is. That's <laughs> true. Good
1: point. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. The guy who started the anti-vax movement, basically. Yeah. 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 Awful. So
0: clearly that ignorance argument is fairly persuasive. You know, this 44% of the population, something like that. Yep, something like that. Are all of those creationists then potential... Uh, believers in evolution. That's not the right term. We've we've talked about that, belief in evolution. That's not the right term. Accept evolution
1: is a better way to say it. Yeah, okay. It's not a belief system. It doesn't require that you accept a dogma. It only requires you accept the scientific method and evidence. There's a difference between dogma and evidence. That's a big difference.
0: I saw a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson that was something to the effect of, uh, science is true whether you believe it or not. That's right. Mm -hmm. right. But would you say then that all creationists have the potential to accept the science? No, there are some that are retarded. But <laughs> those who
2: are at least of average intelligence, uh, given the opportunity, I think could understand and grasp it. It's really not that difficult. Yeah, the, the
1: opportunity is the issue because most of them have either been basically sheltered by a church system that doesn't allow them to hear or read very much other than distortions about what science and evolution are about. Or, you know, if they explore things, a lot of times – I know of people who started to to, to dabble in understanding evolution, but it also threatens very important parts of their being, You know, things that they are connected to in terms of what's important to their lives and their belief system and their self-esteem are often tied up in fundamentalism. And in that context, it's really hard for them to release those things because then they lose their bearings once they're not part of that. Well, when you've built your entire life on this belief system,
2: to turn away from it means – and this is the the hardest part – for every passing year that a believer – hold strongly to that belief system that's wrong, makes it harder to
1: escape it because
0: right. y- you get it. You're They're enforcing it the- you with marriage vows. Well, you've and
1: wasted your life. Yeah, yeah, you made a commitment, and it's very hard to change that. Right. Lo- the more you put in, the harder it is to change it. It's a very Bush familiar can- psychological issue of people, you know, once they Partly committed to something, then it's very hard to make a change because you believe it's, you know, you've already wasted so much, you can't afford to waste it.
0: I've used the tired analogy to, uh, you know, the Mac and PC thing. Well, you know, once you've bought all the programs and, you know, you've invested in the ecosystem, you know, both work just fine, you know, uh, you can get through life with them. But once you've invested so much, it's really hard to just take everything and move it over.
1: Right. It actually goes into a deeper part in that our brains are compartmentalized. So some parts of us will be doing one aspect of our lives and we may do another part. When those parts, we have to make those. Parts work together, so we often tell ourselves lies to make ourselves so comfortable.
0: So it often comes down in the creation evolution debate as either you believe in evolution or you believe that Jesus loves you. You know, right? And Which those... is not
1: exactly opposed statements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. There are some who believe that Jesus evolved to love them. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's a different version I had heard before.
0: <laughs> now, would you then kind of treat the believers who accept evolution as our allies in this debate?
1: Uh, There are some words back and forth on that. Some people view that as being squishy and accommodationist and really feel they have to take a hard line on it. But you have to look at the demographics and the political setting in this country, and really evolution is always under such pressure that I'm of the feeling that you basically have to – Take allies wherever you can find them.
0: And uh, I think we talked about this on the drive over. Some of the most effective allies are those who can talk to other Christians and say, hey, look, I'm a Christian right, too, but right. I accept the science.
1: Because the, 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 the one way that a debater like a Dwayne Gish, for example, can make the audience immediately on his side is to call his opponent an atheist because that, of course, gives them – Create that you know, false dichotomy. Create the false dichotomy, the black and white view of the world. And, of course, their audience is so devoted to their faith that that is the worst thing you can call a person in mm. their mind. And so uh, the consequence of that, of course, is that then they end up winning just that part of the hearts and minds battle from that statement forward. So as we, as you mentioned, someone like a Ken Miller or some of these others who are good Christian evolutionists but are also good scientists who actually do evolutionary research are the, often the most effective debaters. So they take that away from them right away.
2: I recently had a guest on the Ardent Atheist show, a good friend, been years I've known him. Nick Arnett was on the show and he is an ardent Christian. And I didn't expect the interview to go this way, but he kicked it right off talking about Kirk Cameron. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right?
0: child star. And, and,
2: and he, he, he was, Im- immediately he was talking about how he had been persecuted for saying his opinion. <laughs> and that's the problem. I mean, this guy is on my show, and we're talking about accommodating people or getting allies where you can. I bring it up because I said to him, finally on the show, I said to him, I, if you're going to believe in this stuff, please, man, at least at least understand that you shouldn't be oppressing homosexuals with your religious beliefs. <laughs> at least be the voice of reason in your Christian system. Be the one that stands up to your pastor and says, we have to stop this crap. Yeah, That's what I said to him. Okay, I just think that we can take baby steps is my point. Okay, And, and if we can reach someone like Nick, I don't know that I reached him. He, I think I hurt his feelings pretty badly. But hmm. I think we need to ask every Christian we can, one by one, to just stop with the stupid and start with the logic, please.
0: But you bring up a good point. Like it comes down a lot to tactics. It's not just right. a matter of facts versus facts or right, debate. Because
1: right. facts and evidence aren't really what's at play here. It's about deep-held beliefs and, and self-esteem and things that are tied to things that make you think about yourself in the world in a certain context. So you can play a game of facts, and that's the way, for example, a typical debate with a creationist goes. But ultimately, the audience is not swayed because they're not even interested in it's never about science to begin with. It's all about their belief system and how mm-hmm. they view someone as threatening it. And so you had to play a different kind of game if you really want to win their hearts and minds, which it's very hard to do because you know, they are very much sheltered, as we said at the beginning, very much sheltered from knowing or anything, anything about this. Uh, I was reading a, a recent book by Matt Taibbi that talks about the, the, the various strange, extreme beliefs from 9/11 truthers to fundamentalists and so on in this country. And he did what he did was, you know, as a reporter, he went undercover. And pretended to, you know, took a false identity and embedded himself in one of these Texas Fundamentalist churches. <laughs> Went to all their sermons and their their session groups and got involved. And so the point where he was hanging out with the same people all the time, one of their weekend camps and all the rest, all these indoctrination things. Right on. That's, all through this, of course, approach. covering up what he really thought and making notes mentally and I like guess physically as well about, you know, his satirical comments and all this weirdness that he was living with. Mm-hmm. And the thing that struck me about the whole thing, beyond the weirdness of the, their belief system, was how insulated they are. Mm-hmm. They basically do not hear anything about the real world mm. other than what their pastor tells them. I'm down, down and watch Fox News. You know, these people, and then you wonder how many, so many people in Mississippi, you know, can believe that Obama's a Muslim, which is just in the polls today. Right. They don't read or listen to anything except what their pastor and their neighbor tells them.
0: And he was able to experience that firsthand. Yeah, yeah. He lived in a world
1: which was completely cut off from everything that they believed is sinful and everything they believed was, you know, the path away from righteousness. And so their whole world is very, very narrow, very prescribed and very insulated. And under those circumstances, it's no wonder that nothing penetrates it, not even when they're exposed to schools. You know, The schools you know, try in some of these states to actually do something with evolution, though they don't do much. And even that little bit is pointless because they're told by their parents that it's all evil and they should ignore it you know, right. or, or right. take the test and pass it but don't believe any of it
0: that 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 all makes perfect sense you have an insular group and you protect yourself from any outside uh, resources but in the age of the internet how is that even possible anymore it's not that's what's really beautiful in my
2: opinion it's it's going away what don just described is quickly becoming a thing of the past. They're having to work harder and harder to insulate.
1: Yeah. And well, that's a
2: very, very good thing in my opinion.
1: That may be true, but I think a lot of these people aren't very curious to find anything else mm. out about the. If they're already that committed to a group system like that, they tend not to explore very much. They're that, happy.
0: They know, you know the creator of the this interview
1: was only a few years ago with these people, and so that's mm. a time when the internet was still as, 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 as part of our culture as it is now. So, I mean, yes, the, most people have that available to them, but, you know, you can you know, spend all your time cruising nothing but Christian websites in there, Well, let too, me tell so. you something, Donna. You know, <laughs> I have a more rosy look. Uh, first of all...
2: I'm glad if you do. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm so much of an optimist that while you were talking about that... I was sitting here going, wouldn't it be neat if all of their followers were just embedded journalists, and there aren't actually any real followers? That's the kind of optimist
0: I am. Sorry, but I, I've wondered that before. Like Carrie and I have gone to meetings. I can't say yet what they are, mm-hmm. but it's coming up. Where there were other people that we could pretty clearly tell were there for laughs or right. just to investigate. But um, mm-hmm. it, it's hilarious. Like twice, I've seen people. Like one who was a student said, "I'm a student, religion student. I need to write a paper." Right. Another one that Carrie pretty quickly identified said, "I think." He's from the media. Yeah. <laughs> sure right. enough, we got his business card. Yeah. So here's why I think it's a little rosier than that. Okay. Um, I'm happy to hear uh, anything
2: rosy. This, I'm holding up an iPhone right now. This little machine is really, really changing the way people think. In, in these religious homes, wh- when they're told things, just as I was as a kid, when I was told something from my teacher or my parents uh, or, or the insulated system I was in, yeah. the only source I really had to go to was the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm -hmm. And it was the final word in what people would would be claiming. And I could go call grandma, grandpa, mom, dad. I could call them out on things. Right. But that was it, that one source. And it's not even completely trustable. So what we have now, and that's not critical thinking, by the way. That's just a single source Mm -hmm. of final information. When a kid is sitting at a table with an iPhone with a bunch of other kids, and someone says... It doesn't matter what they say. X, and someone says no. Why? Mm-hmm. Boom! Everybody pulls out the machine that's in their pocket, right. and they start critically analyzing what information is available. Now, Don, many of them, the Christians included, will arrive at the wrong answer because the internet's filled with yes, kind of websites, with, with, yeah. with, with, with wrong and right answers. Right. But here's the good news: the good news is the children are being taught how to think critically whether they arrive at the wrong answer or the right answer they're finally thinking critically and the reason it's working is because it's the same machine that they're using to get laid (laughs) and that's why the world is
0: looking like a really bright rosy place that's fantastic
2: critical thinking is what it takes
0: yeah and you can do it in the moment too it's not you know going to the library and coming back later hey i read something in the britannica You know, this isn't explicitly an atheist show. Not all of our listeners are atheists. Why should someone who's not an atheist care about the issue of creation science versus evolution?
1: Um, It's really more of an issue about culture and about how our culture itself is being held back scientifically by the fact that 40% of the country doesn't accept something that science has accepted now for over 150 years. You look at the statistics now, and the biggest thing that differentiates American science literacy from all the other Cultures of the world that are that compare ourselves to. You know, we have the like forty percent rate of acceptance of evolution on some typical polls, and that's that's common. Mm-hmm. No matter what poll you look at, right? If you look at almost every other industrialized country, not only in Europe but also China, course South Korea, Japan, uh, Singapore, down the line, almost all the Western and Eastern industrialized countries. Their acceptance rates almost always in the eighty to ninety percent range. And if you look at that, you know, plot that against wealth, which is a very interesting plot I put up in one of my, my uh, skeptic blog posts from, from late last year, you find that you know, you have this very nice sort of regression of you know, the hmm. acceptance of evolution versus GNP or GDP. And uh, you know almost all the Western European countries are near the top. And then you come down to Eastern and Southern European countries, a little less wealthy and less educated. And then all the way down to countries like Turkey, which are near the bottom, which have a very strong Islamic fundamentalist influence. And the one really striking outlier is the United States, which is Hmm. down there with Turkey as far (laughs) as evolution, but a GDP up there with most of the wealthiest countries in the world. And of course, that's that's it. The really the one thing that makes us so scientifically backward compared to how much money we spend per student on science schools, science schools, is this issue of evolution. It's almost always the questions that sort our American students out as being inferior because they can't accept things like the age of the earth, they can't accept things like um, the basics of evolution, they can't accept a lot of things, all because of this. And that there are consequences to that. You know, We may be in scientifically one of the most important nations in the world right now, mm-hmm. but there was just some research published late last year that showed that in the last decade, China and Japan especially, and also Western Europe as a composite, have had more published papers per capita or even, I think, in raw numbers Uh-oh. than the U.S. has had in the last decade. In other words, there's a very clear sign that the U.S. science establishment is not keeping up the pace of global science and that other countries are rapidly catching up with us. And that's not a good sign if we want to be on the front edge of technology and things that make our lives better.
0: I like our religious freedom in the U.S. as much as anybody, but do you think this is a negative consequence of that?
1: Uh, not so much issue of religious freedom as that we have a deeply seated religious core of what people, you know, are, you know use the way we, people use religion in this country, and that has driven everything else. In other words, the people in this country, the, the, the 40% who are fundamentalists who don't accept evolution, are driven by this kind of deep uh, fundamentalism we don't see in any other Western European or industrialized Asian country. That is different. And, of course, the governments of those countries are also... Very secular, with very little influence of any particular religious group. So those are the, all the more reason why they don't have you know, fundamentals messing around with their educational system.
2: The British have a state religion. The British think that we have this problem because we don't, and I think they might be right, actually. At well, the yeah. end of the day, it, when you've got when you've got the state telling you to do something, you're friggin' don't. Right. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, that's so, that's the aspect of it. it religious liberty. We have thousands of religions, although certain ones are very powerful and very numerous. Uh, The British state religion, Anglicanism, is gradually disappearing as its population disappears and gets Mm -hmm. older and so the vast majority of people in britain now are very secularized as they are in most of western and northern europe so right. you
0: heard it here emory and don say that we should get a national religion here in the U.S. <laughs> so <West. Yeah. laughs> everybody to go to well, church every sunday it's too late now <laughs> we've already broken it where that's concerned yeah.
1: we've got to find another way out of this but well actually there's a very interesting suggestion along those lines uh phil zuckerman over at claremont canada published this and so did greg paul
0: a friend of the show we interviewed him uh, yeah, that's last right month.
1: and you probably went and talked about this issue which is that he looks at these uh, most northern European countries, Scandinavia, Germany being the most uh, classic examples of this. Right. And uh, contrary to all the, you know, the horror of socialism that you hear in the public media now because of the right-wing push that's going on, these countries embraced socialistic systems a long time ago and they're based pretty much cradled grave security on everything. You know, Life is very covered for them from uh, retirement to vacation benefits to health benefits. Everything is pretty much covered. And then, as Zuckerman shows, in terms of almost all measures of happiness with their life's existence and so on, these people are happier and more adjusted and and comfortable than anybody you find in this country, on average. And the one thing that defines that, of course, is not only do they have the safety net, but the, the, the other thing that comes along with that is that as you become less worried about the blows of life, because something will always protect you, you end up also not needing a god as much. Hmm. And uh, that's I think that's probably that's probably the point you remember Zuckerman making, is that right. their religi- religiosity goes down, and they don't need to pray so much. Right. And uh, yeah. I'm my only f- light at my tunnel, my optimism comes from the idea that maybe, and I don't know if that's uh, very likely, the U.S. will start traveling this path someday.
0: All right, we've got a dose of uh, optimism from both of you. That's great. What would you say, then, is the role of comedy in all of this? I think that
2: ridicule is one of the best tools for pushing the younger generation away from the older generations religious baggage Mm. when you ridicule the ideas of these children's parents they see it they feel it they laugh at it and they learn from that Mm -hmm. and that's to me one of the best tools there is i get a lot of emails from young listeners who are very frustrated with the fact that their parents are religious and they're trying to figure out what they should do. Yeah. You know, do they talk to them about it? Do they tell them
0: that they don't believe? And it's, it's, it's kind of sad, actually. It's really sad. But, it is, yeah. But it's encouraging, too. Well, ideally, would you say that the uh, US school systems would introduce some of these ideas a lot sooner, you know, critical thinking or a world religion class? What would you recommend as a change to curriculum?
2: I think the curriculum is fine. I think we need to not try to get intelligent design in place of science. So what we have to do is we just have to fight to keep religion out of the science classes. That, if we do
1: that, just get people to college, and I think we're going to be fine. Now, that, that's the first step. Of course, the science classes shouldn't give anything in the way of religious dogmas, no matter whose religious dogma they are. Uh, and that, luckily, is protected by the Constitution. So hopefully the courts will keep us on the right side of that. The bigger issue is that it's a question of whether high schools really reach students, which a lot of people would say they don't, based on the dropout rate, mm-hmm. and whether, you know, the way high schools are structured now where they teach to tests in only narrow areas like math and, and, uh, and uh, English and so on, and they, almost any subject that's not in that narrowly prescribed things that they test for doesn't get the, the share of attention. In fact, even science tends to be sh- shorted in this system. Uh, i don 't know whether it 's realistic to think that you know giving them exposure to world religion in high school you won 't find many that will make it work very well uh, just because they don 't have the room and they don 't test toward it, you know, just like science itself has got to shorten down this teaching to the test, and you know, all no child left behind, which is basically shorthand for everything is standardized testing now. so really, college
0: is the last bastion of hope, for yeah, education. and even
1: though maybe fifty percent of Americans go to college now, which I think is the highest rate in, in u s history. Uh, Not all of them go to places where they're exposed to very much. I mean, that counts junior colleges where they're only there for a few classes and tech colleges where they take nothing but tech courses. So those don't necessarily train you to be a critical thinker. They're very specialized in their goals. I'm a very vocal atheist. I'm an anti-theist. But I don't think our
2: schools should be used to counteract uh, the religion being taught at home. Mm -hmm. I think it should be used to simply teach reality, facts, mathematics, science, science, Writing, reading, all of that. That's what it should be used for. I don't think it makes any sense to try to put a curriculum in place that counteracts religion.
1: Okay. Uh, and most people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have any problem with that. They don't want to be stepping on anyone's belief system because, believe me, schools are very sensitive to that and yes. very worried about parents uh, you know, running the road on them. Now, that's very different than it used to be in that respect. And
2: trust in the human
1: mind.
0: We're doing well. Okay, that's what I think. That's good. All right, I'm getting a lot of optimism here. That's good. Well, well, that's what the, I think.
1: You, I mean, you're, the, Hope uh, for the uh, future. Emery has a good point here. I mean, you look at poll numbers here, and the number of non-believers and the number of people who are not committed to a religious system on almost any national poll you've seen in the last decade, you know, it's reaching 15, 20, 25 percent, depending on how the question is phrased. You know, so we're actually now a significant minority. We outnumber, you know, Jews. We outnumber almost any other thing except fundamentalist Christians and Catholics. And yet, of course, there are lots of things we can't do like run for office in this country or anything else because a non-believer has no chance in a world where the people who, th- who think they're persecuted, the Christians actually still run the roost as far as the most important things go. So, I
2: predict you are going to see an atheist run for office and win within the next 10 years. Well, there's I one think in Congress that's now, it's I think,
1: but that's as far as it's gone. So, mm. And there was one also. One congressman, a, yeah. Yeah, and there was one, Stark. I think it was a state legislator who then came out as an atheist and he was in a southern state and so he had to. Oh, fight really? hard for you know they were trying to get rid of him just because they felt that there was some obscure law in the books from a century ago that you had to be a Christian to be a member of the uh, the legislature. And oh yeah, I read so that. Now in North or South Carolina, I can't remember where I read that. Oh, right,
0: what so. happened to no religious test for office?
1: <laughs> well, that's mm-hmm. it. I mean, as soon as that came up, that the Constitution overrides those state laws. Yeah. And I don't know how far that has proceeded down the court system, but yeah, that you know, takes they time. should they should know that they're not going to win on that because the Constitution is very clear. on very that. Yeah,
2: clear. you can you can pass a law that doesn't let gay people get. Get married in California, it will be reversed. Just let them spend their millions and then reverse it.
1: Well, hopefully
0: uh, there's going to be people who are listening to this podcast and really don't know that much yet about evolution. Where would they turn to? I mean, cuz we've been talking about what a firm science it is, but really if they don't have a handle uh, on the facts, where should they go? It's right behind them. Just them. look backward.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's creeping up right behind you, so yeah. you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> it's an icon, but it's not very close to reality. Though. Right. Uh, <laughs> The the cheapest way is certain very good websites. The University of California, Berkeley, has a a website, uh, Exploring Evolution, I believe it's called. If you just type that Google string in, you'll find it. And it's very well designed and very clear and very straightforward and not too long either. So that's a good place to look for things like that. Um, another website I recommend, especially if you're in a situation where you've heard creationist arguments over and over and over again and are not sure what to believe, uh, there's a very good site out there that debunks every single creationist argument. It's called talkorigins.org, origins, one word all run together with a .org at the end. And it literally has every standard creationist argument broken down and then debunked. Mm. And you can't find an argument pretty much they haven't mentioned because the creationists don't learn anything new, they say the same old uh, falsified stuff over and over and over again, and they can never get out of this track of saying stuff that isn't true. Uh, so those are two sites I recommend highly, I mean there are a lot of book length treatments as well, including mm-hmm. one I wrote.
0: Speaking of one of your books, I've got Evolution, What the Fossils Say and Why It
1: Matters. I picked that up a while ago.
0: Is that a good one though? Uh, a good uh, yes, I
1: think uh, a lot of readers, would, it's, it's written at a general trade level, you know, just basically high school education or above type of level. And uh, unlike most of the other books on evolution out there, which are written mostly about the biological side of evolution and really don't pay any attention to creations at all, my book covers a lot more. I mean, I'm coming at this as a geologist and paleontologist and straightening out a lot of the myths and mistakes about fossil record, especially my specialty, that a lot of people have. But the book also encompasses broader Approach. It talks about the origin of uh, the Bible, and I learned to read the Bible in the original Greek and the original Hebrew, which most Protestants haven't. And uh, in the process, I learned a lot about how it was put together and why it isn't what you think it is, and why a lot of it can't be what what it's translated to be because it, we don't even know what it really means. And so all that went into there, along with research on creation myths that I did when I was younger. and. So there's a whole bunch of stuff about the nature of religion, the nature of creation stories, and why our creation story comes from a lot of interesting roots. It shows that it basically it's cribbed from some older stories the Sumerians and Babylonians used. And so what I find very heartening, I mean, I know creationists themselves probably ignored that book. Now it's five years since it came out, and it's basically never mentioned by creationists except on rare occasions. Our target for now is people who've sort of been raised religious, sort of been exposed to evolution, but are really confused about what to think. Because they've gotten so much misinformation, and that's what this book has successfully been reaching a lot of people. I've got a lot of people send me emails and, and other forms of, uh, of uh, encouragement saying this is how they, they changed their mind when they read the book. Fantastic. That's the best, best an author can help for is change people's lives that way.
0: Let's see. There's, uh, there's another book by Daniel Lockston uh, called Evolution. It's yes, really... for those are
1: in the teens or slightly below teen years. Uh, the book Evolution by Daniel Loxon's excellent, beautifully it's illustrated, beautifully yeah. illustrated. Uh, because it's aimed at mostly uh, teenagers and slightly younger kids, and it's written at a level that they can quickly understand without being too complicated.
0: Kerry also recommended uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, the yeah, Dawkins. Dawkins' most recent book. Uh, on, uh, yeah. well, not most I, recent, second I second most recent that. Recent. Yeah. Right. Um, which really uh, lays out, you know, why we know evolution is true, and yeah. Dawkins really had a big effect on both Carrie and I. Right. Uh, the my first real in-depth lesson on evolution was reading the ancestor's tale which is a, it's much a heavier book i was going to say not a good one to start right. with. i might not recommend that but i buried my nose in that for a long time and i came out understanding evolution blind
2: watchmaker makes a really good
1: yeah, well, yeah. almost all of his yeah. books have various aspects that they treat very well another one i recommend is uh neil schubin's uh your inner fish, which oh, was the best Oh yeah, yeah, that. That that's was, a good book. Uh, Neil Fantastic. and I were classmates at Columbia. and He published his first paper with me. Oh yeah. And uh, now he's a big, big honcho at University you know, of Chicago. He does a very good job of, basically pointing out how your body is a, com- a composite of all these uh, systems and uh, funny, you know, archaic leftovers and relics and vestigial organs, all of which come from your early evolutionary ancestors and are poorly designed. They don't make much sense. They're just there because you have those ancestors. Yeah, he's a great explainer. That's a that's a great recommendation. Why is my
2: tailbone twitch when a pretty girl <laughs> walks in?
1: <across?
0: laughs> so, guys, well, we should talk a little bit about our visit to the museum. Can you? I'll think of, launch right in. Can you think of a favorite moment? Yes. How about that? Tell me your favorite moment. I'm standing
2: moment. there talking to this guy. What was his name? Do John, you the docent. We're talking to John. I'm trying to not be. I'm an aggressive asshole, and I'm trying not to be, and I'm really holding back. and And I'm watching. I'm watching Carrie do a really good job with him. And you too, Ross. You both are just. You're just asking him really thoughtful questions, and he's answering them really ignorantly. And I'm just getting dug in further and further. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to be cool and calm. And I asked him a few questions. I did. I didn't get too into it. And all of a sudden. Uh, Just from over my shoulder, Dawn comes storming in right after the guy said, scientists, I don't remember how he put it. No, No, None of
0: them actually have proof. All the paleontologists think the biologists have proof and the biologists think Mm -hmm. that the astronomers have proof and none of them really have it.
2: Yeah, and so
0: Don let him have it
2: from over my shoulder. I just feel this heat come and this this sound and this and the word bullshit. I think was thrown out by Don, and it was and it was wonderful. It was wonderful, and I think everybody should go to the creationist museum in Santee and take a Don with you and let this (laughs) guy bury himself. And the minute he says something that. Awful! Unleash
1: your dawn, <laughs> your you're <laughs> paleontologist friend. Yes, yes. You yes. <laughs> have to keep around a little for the usual moments. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, have either of you been to a creation museum before?
1: Yes, I've been to the one in Kentucky, the famous one that Ken Ham put together, "Branches and Genesis." And I went that particular time. I was there for a professional meeting in Cincinnati, so I decided just to squeeze it in on my last afternoon before I headed to the airport, which is very close to where this museum is in the Kentucky side of the river. I decided I didn't want to make a big fuss and cause a lot of storm because uh, you know, a few months earlier, P. Z. Myers and a whole bunch of the Secular Students mm-hmm. Alliance had set a group uh, field trip of all these atheists into that museum. And of course, they were practically ready to, with their tack dogs and their stormtroopers to, to uh, beat them up if they did the slightest wrong thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I went in and just uh, anonymously, you know, just as another unknown person they didn't recognize, and And Bethany used cash only, so they didn't have my credit card number either. It was just – it was the thing I wrote about in my blog last week, which I uh, described the the museum experience at Santee, is Ken Ham's museum is the same basic museum with a million-dollar budget. In other words, the same love of ignorance, the same kinds of lies, the same kinds of distortions but where, Ken, where they have only room enough in this little museum in Santee to paint an image of the inside of the Ark with the stegosaurus sticking above the stalls. In, in the Creation Museum in Kentucky, they have this whole room with a replica of portions of the Ark at life size and mannequins dressed in supposedly period clothes, supposedly working on the Ark. Many more than son, Noah and his sons, by the way. I don't know where they got all the extra labor from. Right. <laughs> and... Um, and so the whole thing is very striking. You know, this is what someone can spend millions of dollars on, not that it is any more interesting or scientifically valid, but it just makes a it- – bigger gee whiz effect on everything, but it has the same basic approach from the very beginning of the museum just as this one does, that science is fallible, science is full of mistakes, science can't be trusted, only the word of God can be trusted as their standard dogma, and the Ken Hans Museum does it similarly, but they had this, well, these are the facts, and the scientist looks at this way, the creationist looks at this way, as if they're two equal paths, and of course that's not the way it works at all. And But both of them had very similar end games as well. Both museums basically come up with their real underlying message, which is you get to the last few corridors in each museum and it's all about, well, if you don't accept our belief system, you're going to hell, the world is falling apart, everything is evil because of evolution. It's a ministry. Really, really what they're concerned about, yes, is, is, is world view is what they consider, you know, the, the evils of the world and how they should address it. When souls for Jesus. That's right. That's what's behind it all, all you know, together. So basically that's what you get when you put a million dollars behind the Santee Museum, you get the one in Kentucky. Okay.
2: If you have given money to a company like this that has opened up these museums, Museums of awful misinformation, shame on you. (laughs) Really, that's how they do it. They pass a tray at these churches, and they get money from people, and then they open up these museums, and they continue to misinform children and people. And it's wrong. Like, you know, children aren't people. Give your money to charities who are going overseas and doing good things for people who need help, who are helping people on this side of the ocean, and, and religion has
0: nothing to do with it. Spend your money wisely when you give it to people. Well, you didn't say. What was your favorite moment at our uh, rinky-dink museum?
1: Well, for me, it was uh, sort of a painfully favorite moment that it's looking at all those ridiculous things they would say and laughing at them. You know, starting with, as I mentioned in my my, uh, skeptic blog post, uh, the very first exhibit they have is a scientific fraud, and they don't know it. Yeah, And as I pointed out in my, in my, in my blog post, it's, it's real fossils from the, the Devonian Tindouf Basin of Morocco, which are mined by the thousands now. It's the biggest commercial source of fossils in the world now.
2: I'm going to ask you to say that slower for me.
1: It's real fossils from what? Yeah. fossils. The location is called the Tindouf Basin of Morocco. Uh, so it's Devonian age, about 400 million, 440 million years old. And the fossils themselves are real. In fact, they're all nicely polished in a way you wouldn't find anywhere in nature. And then they're all stuck in various well-disguised blocks of concrete hmm. uh, to make big wall-sized slabs that look pretty. And so they're art pieces. You know, if you want to sell them as a piece of art with fossils embedded, and it, it's great. But they're the the actual layout of the fo- real fossils in the slab is not a fossil. Hmm. It's something an artist created. Sure. And yet the display bought it hook, line and sinker, and so thinks the whole thing's real. And they are pointing to these little nautiloids, which are long conical shells, and say, "Oh, they're all lined up by the great flood." Nope, they're lined up by Moroccan craftsmen. So it is intelligently <laughs> designed. <laughs> <laughs> they are—they are, they are in the, so, so well designed. They're actually frauds. <laughs> and the same thing happens over and over again. That's in that just museum. lying. Well, the, I the, mean,
2: the, the
1: Moroccan craftsmen think they're doing art, or they're not thinking about it at all. The creations don't know what the difference is. Uh, the, they in, have to know,
2: really. Don, no. do you, are you going to give I them would, that pass?
1: I, I think they know, and I think they're lying. Uh, well, that's a possibility. I don't give them that much credit for being honest but, either. I but, I mean, does
0: does that display really misguide people about evolution or anything? It's well, just...
1: it makes a false claim about the fossil record, mm-hmm. and the irony is their so-called evidence for that false claim is that false
0: There you go. It's, okay. it's,
1: a, it's a fraud they themselves haven't detected, or if they have, they're not going to say anything.
2: I think they know they're lying.
1: Well, it could be. It could be. In the, in, the, in the main room, it has most of the so-called fossils in that place. Most of what they have on display is actually hand-carved, and it's not actually really a fossil. So they have a, a fraudulent dinosaur phone and a fraudulent dinosaur track that they don't realize <laughs> is right. not the real thing. Um, they have mostly just replicas that you buy just off the market in various places like rock shops and their websites that make casts of fossils. So There's only a handful of real fossils in that whole room. Well, here's a question. Was there something that you looked at that you said, oh, that's actually right? <laughs> Was there actually some good
0: science anywhere in there? Uh, no. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you might ponder for a minute. No, no, I, Not
1: I, one. I think back to all the displays and uh, where they did have fossils there If they were real fossils, they were misidentified or misspelled.
2: I saw one absolutely uh, accurate sign in the whole building, and it said, restrooms this way. Oh, yeah, well, I could have said that. That's true. (laughs) Hard to
1: argue with that. Well, and then the other part of that museum, which was a very strange combination, was the newer hall they have, human biology, where they have all these uh, large models of human anatomy that you can buy off the medical market, used as museum displays. They're all stuff you can buy commercially. And uh, they had... You know, the the plaque for each one of these would be a long paragraph talking about human anatomy, all of which was perfectly fine. It's undisputed human anatomy, and there would be nothing wrong about that part. And then the final sentence would always be some sentence along the lines of, well, wow, and you see how beautifully designed this is. It could never <laughs> have interred without the creator's involvement. Right. And the irony of that, of course, is that they didn't point out in certain exhibits. You can see the the contradiction there. The display about the human eye, for example, talks all about the human eye and then stops right there. And just doesn't say anything further about the key things, which the human eye, of course, is a masterful example of bad design. It's got the, the retina designed inside out, so the sensory bo- layer is on the bottom rather than on the top where it pick up light better. So we have naturally distorted lenses. It has an uh, exit in the back of this retina for the ocular nerve, which creates a so-called blind spot. Mm-hmm. All those things are signs that our eye is not as well designed as it could be. And the irony being there is an animal in the world that does have an eye that doesn't have those problems. Better, octopus! An octopus. Yeah! No, I said it before. <laughs> yes, uh, the octopus <laughs> has a better designed eye than we do. Yeah, and so the question is: if that's the case, why did the creator give us an inferior eye? Yeah. None of that was brought up in their display. For some, we're odd supposed reason. to be the pinnacle of creation. That's right. We have an inferior eye. That's to be for sure. What would you say then to a creationist listening to this show? Well, I would say, look at evidence. You know, they, not that they really will take it very seriously, but you know, I, my whole book lies, lays out the whole case that the creationists, should, if they really honestly want to know. Why the world as a whole does not agree with them, which is true in terms of the whole world. I've already said the the strongest case I know in that book, and I I challenge them to try to see if they can
0: get through it. Okay, that's your challenge. Emery. Yes? What would you say to a creationist who's listening to this show?
2: (laughs) God's not watching you masturbate. (laughs) And if he is, he's the pervert.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Other than that, Don covered it for me. (laughs) All right, guys. Where where can we find you? Uh, Where are your blogs, your your podcasts, your books?
1: Uh, My website is just donaldprothero, my full name, dot .com. If you go to skepticblog.org every Wednesday morning, I have a new blog each once a week. The last week's blog was on Mother Visit the Creationist Museum we just did a month ago. You can look at that and see what I thought in detail about many parts of it, and just as a side on that, What struck me most about that place was how poorly done as a museum it was Mm -hmm. and how boring and under-designed and, of course, nothing in the way of dynamic exhibits, just lots of fakes and glass cases and lots of words on the wall. The last image I show in my Skeptic blog post is two teenagers, one asleep and one playing a video game. (laughs) They were in the room with the docent and the rest of the crowd at the time. And that shows you how ineffective they are at reaching young people.
2: That's a good, good, good story that ends that way. You can find me at ardentatheist.com. You can also tune into our live podcast. We actually. Uh, we don't record uh, and do it the lazy way like you. Um,
0: we, <laughs> that takes we actually, a lot of work.
2: We actually, you're working more than I am, actually. Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, newdissidentradio.com or dissidentradio.com will get you there. You can also get the podcast on iTunes or you can find it and download it from Dissident Radio and ardentatheist.com. If you have emails you'd like to send to me, I'm emery at ardentatheist.com.
0: Fantastic. If you're listening to this show, you've already found Oh No, Ross and Kerry. If you uh, want to donate to us, us, you can always go to onopodcast.com slash donate and you can help fund our forays into the world of pseudoscience and give money fringe belief
2: it's a sexy thing to do
0: that was subliminal yeah there's a subliminal you don't say it Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was super liminal. that's it for our show our producer is ian kramer and our theme music was written by brian keith dalton of mr deity fame you can find us on the web at onopodcast.com or facebook.com slash o n r a c and be sure to check out our pictures by liking us our thanks to emory emory and dr donald prothero for joining us any last words
2: god is a lie
0: (laughs) that was that was also subliminal (laughs) oh i'm not supposed to say it (laughs) (laughs) science rules (laughs) indeed high five on that one high five
2: (laughs) ah you know when you get guys together to do a a podcast it ends with high fives it's got it